This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on episode 14 of season three. If you're not careful with aphids at the flowering stage of your fava bean plant, you could lose your whole crop. And I had a few uh, farmers on Twitter after I was posting pictures of the yields and the, the terrible heat maps that we would get off of the combine. And uh, some of the farmers said, you know what, I had aphids in my field and I really had a terrible, terrible crop year with my fava beans. Do you think it was the aphids doing that? Like, yeah, it likely was. Dr. Tyler Wist joins the show to talk about two groups of insect pests in pulse crops, grasshoppers and aphids. Tyler is a field crop entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada based at the Saskatoon Research and Development Centre. His work generally focuses on field crop insects and finding ways to better protect crops, establish economic thresholds, and identify and understand plant-insect interactions. Tyler is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to entomology, and in today's episode, we'll mostly talk about aphids and pulse crops. But before we dive into that, I wanted to ask him about another insect pest that seems to be causing some problems, especially this year, grasshoppers. Grasshoppers are so cyclical. We forecast for them up here based on numbers from the previous year. Uh, we also look for egg pods as well. So Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has been doing an egg survey for a long time. And actually, our grasshopper survey goes back for, I think it's close to 100 years of grasshopper surveys. So we can see these populations over time, going up, going down, booming, busting. So basically, as long as we've had entomologists in Canada, we've been looking at grasshoppers. So that was one of these native insects that, you know, it didn't have to be introduced. It was already here. The big problem with these grasshoppers, Tyler says, is not just in them eating the plants, but it's what they do to the flowers that can really cause some major damage for pulse crop farmers. So we've got about four pest species of grasshoppers up here in Saskatchewan. You probably likely do down in the States there as well. And in terms of them eating pulses, yeah, they will. But the real trouble is when they get into a flowering crop, you can have a beautiful green lentil crop and they'll move in and they'll just clip the flowers off. And so if the plant gets stressed out at flowering and it drops its flowers, you get no pods, then you get no yield. So the grasshoppers like to clip those flowers off, especially in lentils. So our threshold that we use up here in Canada is actually really low. So it's like two grasshoppers per square meter in lentils at the flowering stage. So my first experience with this was back in 2002 when it was my father-in-law's lentil crop. And he had this beautiful green lentil crop and uh, basically yielded nothing because 2002 was a year where we had a huge grasshopper outbreak. And they just got into the crop and clipped off those flowers and that was it. The plant keeps growing, but it doesn't yield anything. So, of course, these grasshoppers should be monitored closely, especially during that important flowering stage. I know some pulse crop growing areas are experiencing really high infestations of these pests this year. So I want to include that little bit of insight from Tyler. But now we'll shift our focus over to another pulse crop pest that I know Tyler works a lot with, aphids. So I was working with Dr. Megan Vankoski on a project, and she was looking at pea leaf weevil. That's a problem in peas, but they actually really love fava beans. So I said, hey, why don't I plant some fava beans and why don't we do a, a sub-project on 
the pest insects that are getting the, into the fava bean. And I was like, oh, I'll plant lentils and I'll plant peas and we'll put them all side by side and see what happens. And so pea aphids happened, a lot of pea aphids. So I was excited about that. But the project wasn't really focused on the pea aphids, but it was focused on the beneficial insects that we had in Saskatchewan that were eating those pea aphids. So I identified some, some really cool parasitoid wasps, one called Preon. That's the genus name. It's really interesting because in the cereal aphid system, the parasitoids that we had would sting the aphid, lay an egg inside of it, and then the offspring would stay inside the aphid. So it would eat the entire contents of the aphid's body, and then it would pupate inside the aphid. And so the aphid kind of swells up and turns into this golden color, and we call it an aphid mummy. Now, we saw that in the pea aphid system as well. There were some of these golden mummies, but then there were also some white ones. When I threw those under a microscope, we actually saw that the parasitoid split the belly of the aphid and then crawled out and pupated underneath it. So now you've got this empty aphid on top of this uh, little cocoon of a parasitoid wasp. And so that's where the white came in because uh, there was the cocoon of the parasitoid wasp. And I said, well, that's really different. I wonder what we have here. And sure enough, we had this genus of uh, prey on parasitoids. So I thought that was really cool. My students thought it was a little less cool because I said, hey, we should figure out what the percentage of parasitism of these things is. Let's go into this fava bean crop and uh, here, pull up five fava bean plants each. And I want you to count all of the aphids on the fava bean plant and all of the parasitoid. So we're looking for the mummies. So count all of the mummies on the plant and then we'll do a ratio of parasitism. And so, you know, after they pulled up a, a fairly fully mature looking potted out fava bean plant and they banged all the aphids off and then they counted like 17,000 aphids. They weren't very happy with me after sitting out in the hot sun, counting all of those aphids. And then what we realized was, you know, there really weren't that many parasitoids. And so the aphid population really just escaped the parasitism and it was escaping the predators. So they were not doing enough to keep the aphid population in check. But then I looked at the plants and I was like, these plants are wilting. There are so many aphids on the fava bean plants that they are wilting. And you can really see aphids on the fava bean plants. Lentils, it's a lot harder to see them. Uh, as lentils are down and they make this canopy on the ground and you really have to get down and have a really close look at aphids in there. So peas and fava bean, easy to see that you've got aphids. Lentils, a little more difficult. So that's kind of how the, the whole working on pea aphids in the pulses came about. Then I was like, well, why don't we look at the economic threshold? Because there isn't one for fava beans for pea aphids. And then lentils, we had a, a nominal economic threshold. So a nominal threshold is anyone's best guess. And so that was about 40 aphids per sweep. And uh, some of the farmers that we talked to said, you know, I think that's too low. And other ones said, maybe that's too high. I said, you know what, we better study that. So we got a, a colleague of mine at the University of Saskatchewan came in and he likes to study the same things that I do, things that pierce and suck the plant juices and transmit diseases. And so we had a joint project on trying to figure out the economic thresholds in both fava bean and lentils. Tyler and his colleagues found out in their research that that nominal guess of around 40 was actually really close. In lentils, that is. 
So, interestingly, that was lentils where it was 40 per sweep. Fava bean? No idea. We had no idea. But yeah, it did actually come out that that best guess was actually a really good guess. So we figured that it's about 36 plus or minus 7 aphids in lentils. So that's actually really interesting. And uh, of course, we recommend don't just take one sweep in one part of your field, but you go around and you get an average. So that's an average of about 36 aphids. And that's a 180 degree sweep with a 15 inch sweep net. So that's sort of our, our baseline for determining how many aphids you've got in a lentil field. So we were using CDC Impulse, which is a clear field variety that came out of uh, Bert Vanderberg's work at the CDC, which is the Crop Development Center at the University of Saskatchewan. And uh, yeah, yeah, that one came out in 2014. So I'd been planting it for a few years and just kept on planting it. The fava bean, we were working on CDC Snowdrop, so came out of the same breeder program at the University of Saskatchewan, but it's a low tannin variety with a beautiful white flower. And uh, 2019 was our first field season where we actually started looking at these thresholds. And luckily, 2019 was an absolutely horrible year for aphids from a farmer's point of view, and an absolutely beautiful year for aphids from a researcher's point of view. We had visual symptoms on these plants like you wouldn't believe. We had so many aphids that the plants were just falling over. They were so wilted. And the big population push came right about the time when the plants were trying to set flowers. And the plants got so stressed out that I think they just aborted their flowers and dropped them. So this was the first year that I had ever used our uh, Winter Steiger Quantum Combine with the Harvest Master Grain Gauge on it. So what this is, is it's a plot combine. It's got a four foot header. And so we were harvesting these plots and then you you hit the button on it and it takes the yield of that plot that you just harvested it. It is an amazing tool for doing field crop research. And I kind of taught myself how to drive it and get out there and harvest these plots, but it brings a sample into the cab so that your summer student or whoever's working beside you can get a look at what the beans look like. And so in these control plots that we didn't use insecticide on, we would drive into the control plots. You know, we were harvesting four foot widths and the plots were big enough that there should have been some beans there and I would take the sample and it would sound like this it would just go dink <laughs> and we would get one bean and the bean did not look very good so we're like wow that's absolutely zero yield so 2019 we realized that if you're not careful with aphids at the flowering stage of your fava bean plant you could lose your whole crop and I had a few uh, farmers on Twitter after I was posting pictures of the yields and the the terrible heat maps that we would get off of the combine. And uh, so a yield of zero gives you this really unhappy brown color on the heat map. And uh, some of the farmers said, you know what, I had aphids in my field and I really had a terrible, terrible crop here with my fava bean. Do you think it was the aphids doing that? Like, yeah, it likely was. Now, with this potential for catastrophic yield loss in fava beans, it was important to understand exactly where that threshold should be. Tyler says they use the cumulative aphid density to find out that the economic threshold actually comes before the economic injury level. So at a certain level, you don't need to take control, right? 
So if the insects aren't actually damaging the plant, you don't really know. So we needed to figure out that level where the insects started to damage the plant. And so after two years of research, we figured out that level. So what we did in 2019 was we were using a score called a cumulative aphid density. And so that takes into account the number of aphids on the plant, but it also takes into account the time that the aphids are on the plant, which is important for a sucking insect like this. So we, we figured out that uh, we had maybe set our cumulative aphid densities a little bit too high because our three, four, and five densities all yielded zero in the fava bean. So the only ones we actually got some happy looking colors on our heat map were where we took control at the first cumulative aphid density. And so in the field, you could actually see, and we've got pictures of uh, a plot that was controlled next to one of the control fields or any of the ones that we let the aphids just go until those three, four, and five levels of densities. And yeah, so you've got green plants with nice pods on the left where we took control measures. And then on the right, just dead black sticks, no pods. So side by side. And the only difference was we controlled the aphids in that one plot, apparently at the right time. What we worked out then is let's do things a little differently in uh, 2020. So in 2020, we had significant aphid pressure, but it wasn't as bad as it was in 2019. And I think it was maybe because the aphids came a bit later. So that's something you want to watch for too, is early aphid arrival is more troublesome than later aphid arrival because your plants can outgrow the later aphid arrival. But so we're looking at, at this now in fava bean, and we actually found that the average economic threshold is about 33 to 49 aphids per main branch on the fava bean plant. But I'm going to qualify that. So that's where you need to take action. And that is a seven-day take action period. Because what we found was, you know, we're using synthetic pyrethroids. That turned out to be the quick rapid knockdown that the synthetic pyrethroids provided was was the best control but some days it was just too hot like it was 25 degrees or more those synthetic pyrethroids don't work very well if it's windy you can't get in there to spray so those economic thresholds we've kind of worked them out to be okay do you have seven days before you can spray here's your number do you have five days before you can spray here's your number and what we figured out was economic threshold comes before the economic injury level and the economic injury level is that balance of uh, the damage that they're doing and then the cost of control. And so what we figured was that economic injury level is about 94 to 140 aphids on a fava bean main stock. So you do have to pull up a plant and knock off the aphids and do some counting. I recommend a hand counter. And that's about what you're working with there. And I would also qualify that with watch out for that flowering stage because that's also... In peas, that's the dangerous stage, but also the early potting stage too can be a bit of a danger. So until you get those nicely formed seeds, you're still a bit in danger there with the fava beans. While hand counting aphids might sound tedious, rigorous scouting is of the utmost importance here, especially during the susceptible period. Tyler says you can monitor for not only the aphids themselves, but also for their number one predator, the lady beetle. Well, you can evaluate the uh, lady beetles in your field. So I think that the lady beetles have the capacity to control small levels of P aphids. So check those out in your field too. But just 
really keep an eye on it. Like if you're out there monitoring lentils, you can monitor with a sweep net. We didn't get really good correlations between plant counts and sweep netting in the fava bean. I think there's more work there to be done because uh, it's much easier to use a sweep net than to pull up plants. But in the lentils, it's really hard to tell what a plant is. And when they're all, the canopy is merging together, you don't know if you've pulled up a plant and you've lost a bunch of aphids when you've done that. So the sweep net is how we've done that one. And so in the lentils, we're looking at an economic injury level of around 74 per sweep. And so that's when that balance of control and yield loss is there. And so then our lead time then with our economic threshold is about 36 aphids. So the farmer wants to be out there scouting. And we've also got doubling times for these populations, you know, at our at our temperatures that we get here, typically in Saskatchewan. And so the farmers can use those doubling times as well. So if they come out and they say, okay, I got five aphids in my net right now, and the doubling time is X, I better come back here and check to see if the population has actually doubled. And when you've got an insect that's all female and they're born pregnant and they give birth to live young, those populations can double really quickly. Yes, you heard that correctly. They give birth to live young and can reproduce extremely quickly, which is one of the reasons this pest needs to be taken so seriously. The silver lining, I guess, if there is one, is that you don't need to scout differently for young aphids versus adults. So you've got an aphid, let's say an adult aphid looks just like a nymphal aphid because they've got incomplete metamorphosis. So when you're scouting for aphids, you're likely getting the aphids and the aphid nymphs as well. And ooh, that is a good question if we can piece things out like that. I'll use the example of ligus bugs. When we're scouting for ligus bugs, we'll look at the young nymphs, the first through third instars. But when they start getting spots on their back and we're starting to see those wing pads appearing, those ones are doing about the same damage as the adult ligus bugs. And so we sort of lump those together. And when we've got the nymphs in the field, we'll just look at that and be like, okay, we've got young nymphs. We might have a problem in the future. So continue scouting there. In terms of aphids, we haven't really separated out the adult aphids from the younger aphids or you know, whether an adult aphid does more damage than a younger aphid, likely it does because it's bigger. But uh, yeah, those those nymphal aphids become adults within about seven days. So they have a really short generation time, especially when we get the heat of summer pushing their degree days through. These episodes about insect pests are so interesting because there are just a lot of dynamics at play here, like the biology of the insect, the field conditions, overwintering, and timing. Tyler said all of this research comes together in providing the most accurate economic thresholds possible. So his advice is to pay attention to those and stick to them. My message to farmers would be, and agronomists as well who are helping out the farmers, use those economic thresholds. So there's been a lot of research that'll go into them. For example, these two on lentils and fava bean, that was two full field seasons worth of research, plus a whole lot of counting of aphids. So we're doing the science for you. And uh, those economic thresholds are there to help you save money, to know when you don't need to apply insecticides. And, uh, you know, we're trying to use those research dollars that ultimately come from the farmers. So. Thank you very much for those 
checkoff dollars that fund the research. And we we're pretty happy to be able to turn those into things that farmers can use in their field. And speaking of things farmers can use in their field, beneficial insects are an important part of an effective integrated pest management program. Tyler says Field Heroes is a great resource for learning more about these beneficial insects. So if you're interested in those beneficial insects in your field, uh, Western Grains Research Foundation has been funding an initiative to teach sort of like a cheerleader initiative for those beneficial insects in the crop. And we call it Field Heroes. So you can find that on Twitter at Field Heroes. And you can also find it online at fieldheroes.ca. And so what that is, is just easily digestible information about the beneficial insects that you're going to find in your field. You might find a couple of my videos and pictures in there as well. Yeah, so look for those to help you identify those things in your field. I've had some questions from farmers or agronomists sometimes like, what are these little alligator looking things in my field? And, you know, should I control them? Like, whoa, hang on a second there. Those are lady beetle larvae. And you should look for aphids before you spray the lady beetle larvae. Because those lady beetles might actually control the aphid populations that are in your field. But mama ladybug is not going to lay eggs in a field unless there's something for her offspring to eat. So those lady beetles are a, are a symptom of the aphids that are in your field and potentially also a cure for those aphids. So check out at Field Heroes and uh, yeah, follow them on Twitter for more information. We'll be sure to provide links in the show notes for the Field Heroes website and their Twitter account as well. Thank you so much to Dr. Tyler Wist for joining us on the podcast today. You also want to follow him on Twitter as well at Tyler Wist one. That's the number one. Make sure you're a subscriber to the Growing Pulse Crops podcast because you won't want to miss our next episode with Dr. Cody Creech and Dr. Carrie Eberly. This area of Nebraska, Wyoming, is, has not been a target for breeding programs for these pulse crops. And so in the past 10 years, there's been a lot of improvement in these varieties, much better varieties that are much better adapted, but there's still a long ways to go in that realm. If we can keep working on that breeding side of things, I think we're gonna see uh, continued success in pulse crops in both Nebraska, Wyoming going forward. So make sure you're subscribed to this show on your podcast platform of choice so you catch that upcoming episode as well. The Growing Pulse Crops podcast series is overseen by the Pulse Crops Working Group with funding from the North Central IPM Center, USDA NIFA, the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, and the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Program. We're releasing these episodes twice per month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure the information stays relevant to you. So if you're finding it useful, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to tweet us by using the hashtag GrowingPulseCrops. We'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.